most of the Manchester artists have known them for a long time. You can have such a laugh with Manchester artists. Meet Yvonne Shelton. Now, you and I know Manchester's music history like the back of our hands, from New Order to Doves, Blossoms and Simply Red. You know them all, and they all know Yvonne Shelton. Yvonne is a powerful undercurrent in the Manchester music scene. She's worked for the past 40 years as a professional backing vocalist and session singer. In fact, you may have seen her singing live at Hacienda Classical. She started singing with a church gospel choir as a child growing up in Hume, and this became the foundation of her career. Yvonne is known for connecting people, and you'll hear in our conversation just how strongly she values community. So I wanted to know, how would you last so long in an industry that is always changing? What is it like to light up iconic venues like Castlefield Bowl and Band on the Wall? And what do you learn from singing behind some of Manchester's music greats? I'm Lisa Morton, and this is We Built This City. Yvonne, thanks so much for joining me on We Built This City. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. And you're a born and bred Mancunian. You grew up in Hume, is that right? Yeah, born in Stretford Memorial Hospital. Grew up in Hume, then Mosside, then Rush Home. Then when I was studying at Manchester Met, I moved to Withington. Right, so... And then the last few decades, I've been living in Reddish in Stockport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stockport's the place to be now, isn't it? It's um, with the blossoms, yeah, yeah, and the rest of it. Yeah, it's a really happening place now. And your know, Manchester's just been voted by the New York Times as the one of the top fifty-two places to visit this year. Really? Yeah, just was out. Good yesterday. lord! Yeah, so making our mark. Mm-hmm. So tell me what it was like living in Manchester as a kid. Well, it was all it was all I knew. Lived in the flats in Hume before it was trendy. And as we were leaving, the students were coming in. It was multiracial. It was culturally diverse. It was a melting pot. Some um, doctors there who believed in social housing. So we mixed and there was a lot of um, West Indian communities, which is my mum and dad. We enjoyed each other's company and played and argued and fighted. (laughs) I had a laugh with Mike Sweeney about that. We called each other rotten but if anyone came into the community and went against us we were like united front together and um, everybody was poor together but we didn't even know it was the ghetto I watched the tv program telling them c say said about the ghetto in manchester I thought the show where i lived was like how dare what <laughs> mom we're in the ghetto we've got to leave <laughs> but i suppose as kids you were just making your own fun and, and it we all did. felt you felt loved and it you didn't notice that nope the doors were open they weren't even locked and it was the heart of hume nobody locked the door and um if the money was the wages were spent on in the pub or Whatever, we ate at other people's houses and they ate at ours. We ate their Irish stew and they, they ate our rice and peas and chicken. So, you know, the mothers stuck together. Right. Mm. And what was your mum like? Then your mum and your dad, you had a sister. So I've got three sis- two sisters and my brother, then I've got two half-sisters. One of my younger sisters, that's a half We just called each other sisters. She used to run for England. She, she was a Commonwealth Games 100 and 200 metre champion when she was younger. Yeah. Wow. She did well. We were all jealous of her. <laughs> Proud of her and jealous of her at the same time. 
And so you moved out of Hume, was it around the times of the riots? Was that after? So what was it like during the riots then? Um, we, you could hear it. It was mm. like, why's all that smoke? What's going on? What's everyone shouting for? And I was like, get inside, shut the door. And then we didn't understand. It's only years later when people kind of... If you said you were from Hume, it kind of went against you for getting jobs or anything like that. Oh, the riots, were you there? And it's like, yeah, but I wasn't in the middle of it. And then we understood afterwards what was going on because as a culturally diverse community, we didn't experience micro-racism until I went to university. Mm. I didn't didn't heard about it before. No one speaks to me like that because nobody would speak yeah. to an African or a Jamaican or West Indian in the community because no one's going to mess. We weren't going to mess with them, and they weren't going to mess with us unless we we're having a a horrible, scrappy neighbours argument. But it wasn't mm. like pushing your head down racism. We didn't. And when there were racists to me at Manchester, I didn't even know that what they were talking about for. What's your problem is afterwards you think, oh, right. And then you just think, whatever. Just as long as it didn't impede where I wanted to go. The feeling about it or the arguments people have about it, you felt it after, year, literally years later. Really? Yeah. But was there a palpable difference for you as soon as you started at Man Met? When you... Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I was the only one. It was me and another guy out of the whole of the first year in 1986. And then that guy couldn't take the pressure. He left and I half ignored the pressure because I was always out singing. Right. So whatever pressures I faced in college of teachers and university of teachers and young people, I just thought, well, I'm going to the studio tonight. I don't care about you. I've been picked up and taken to the studio to sing my heart out. So... So you think that your singing then really kept you feeling mm. safe and, and positive. belonging? You're positive. Yeah. yeah. I had the church choir, the gospel mm -hmm. choir, which was, we were going out back in loads of artists that were doing well. So many artists, Manchester artists, um, artists that would come over from America, American artists that would come over. And then I was in the studio, which was against the church, you don't go in the studio and sing secular music, the devil's music, but I did. <laughs> so I was having a, a whale of a time. So that covered, yeah. you know. So you had another purpose outside. Yeah. Of, yeah. And just going back to how you kind of found your voice and found singing in the first place, was that when you were little and you were singing with the church? Yeah. And then school choirs a little bit, but I wasn't... We didn't do... Um, what do you call them, where you, like a pop idol, school's version of pop idol? We didn't do that in school. You like talent things at the end where you can juggle balls or you can go up and <laughs> sing or do a recital. We didn't do that in, in Mosside at Webster Junior School. And then uh, in Levenson, it was the school disco or the school choir. So, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't anything where one person could stick out and do this. People remember me singing at high school but I don't remember no I used to sing down the corridors all the time but church choir was where it was now I realised the training was strenuous you know we sung for hours we sung all our church was all day on a Saturday we sung all day and then we went to church on Sunday evening as well on top of that 
Then we did youth choir, youth practice on a Monday. Where if you if you could sing quite well, there was a gospel group that you sang in on a Tuesday. Then my mum went to church on a Wednesday, then back to church on a Friday, then all day on a Saturday. And it, so it was just, you know. So singing was just yeah. every day part yeah. of your DNA from being pra- very young. yeah. And what do you think that taught you obviously huge discipline and commitment from a very young age great training for backing vocals right Mm. you know the bosses you know you've got to sit there and you're singing a lot of the time out of your range you've got to suit the range of the whoever's singing lead or whatever the choir director same if you're singing with a major artist you're singing around their key backing them and you rehearse and rehearse and rehearse till you get right and then you go home and practice or you could naturally harmonise so that was I could just roll into that easily and did you ever resent the amount of time that you had to commit to it or did you absolutely love it now I've got less time for it Mm. And I think if people want me to raise, get your money out. <laughs> but when I was younger, it was just, well, you just did it. So and a did. lot of artists took advantage of that. Yeah. You can stand there and just sing all day. They'll just, they'll just press record, take, 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 take. And you could be sat there and you could do 25 vocals because you could sing for that long. And so I've heard it was Diane Medall's sister Doreen who encouraged you to sing the devil's music, is that she right? She was one of the people that was in, quite encouraging when she, what was her band called? She was in Distant Cousins. Um, singers that encouraged me to get into singing were like Doreen Edwards, this is Diane's sister, and Denise Johnson from Scream Medallica, or Primal Scream rather. She sang with them for a while. Uh, Diane Charlemagne from what I'd say 52nd Street and uh, Goldie and Moby. She was the most helpful one, Mm. extremely supportive, got me gigs in Germany with, well, Frank Ferry and who's um, Boney M's and is it Millie Vanilli? (laughs) Millie Vanilli's (laughs) producer. But gigs abroad or Sweden or Germany where you got to think, wow, can you get paid this much? It's like, great. So, yeah, there was a lot of support from Manchester singers. I mean, that's amazing. I I think, you know, we know that helping people seems to be in the DNA of the city. So do you think you could have had the career you've had without that support early on? No, no. And I don't know what, I don't know how. I think if I didn't fall in with a lot of people who were helpful and they were sing, they were lead singers in their own right and they did a lot of backing vocalists, I followed suit. Maybe I, maybe I would have just concentrated on backing vocals because when I first went into it, I didn't want the church to know that I was singing it. So I used to hide you know, or I was glad there was a troop of us and that. And people like, I want my name on the album. And I thought, I don't want mine. <laughs> <laughs> so you did some TV when you were younger, didn't you? you yeah. Wogan and... Yeah, all the all the all um, all of those talk shows that had a choir on, we would probably have been on it in one shape or form. A lot of artists that come over that they needed a choir for, if you weren't in one choir, you, you conjoined with another one. Mm. And we performed with those artists. So in the 80s and early 90s, man, my Mm. Lord. Yeah, it was just every weekend when we were young, like 13 coming up, 
every weekend we were off singing somewhere and it was for somebody major. It must have been exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And um, I realised how exciting it was now looking back. <laughs> You know, because after you've been rehearsing for God knows how long, and you got you you got the thing to go and chance to work with these people, you, you just think, be here by this time. You got to wear this. Make sure you bring your shoes. That was all in your mind. Mm. You you didn't we weren't reveling in the moment. You think mm. I got to be there on time. Got make sure I wear black shoes. Got the red gown. Got to be iron. I've got to wear this underneath. My hair's got to be up. To put the you're just thinking of that. Mm. It's called your thousand. Elvis called it his thousand step walk, didn't he? What was that? All the things that you have oh, to do to do. get ready to be by the time you get to stage. So nerves has to get in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Nerves has to. You know, nerves can come behind the three minutes before you walk on stage because before that you're getting ready you've got you're practicing your songs you're getting your itinerary from someone getting told about this interview by that person so by the time you've got to make sure you speak to your family you've got your keys or someone's going to be in or you've got to be there to be picked up dropped off that so by the time you do all of that you're on stage mate and do you think that then gave you a more kind of realistic view on having a career in music and to have that develop that idea of a even though my timeliness isn't great and it's got better over the years, how to be a jobbing singer and see it as a... And if something big comes along. I've heard you say that some musicians, they can make it really big, but they've literally got like a five-year shelf life and then you never hear of them again. Yeah. At one time with the record companies, we they were saying to us, one of the A&R guys, I won't say who because some artists will be upset, right? But one of them said... A couple of them said, you guys are here for longer than some of the artists mm. we've had. So we've got great relationships with some promo guys or watch guys, A&R, or coming to working for a company. Now they're heading up the company or now they're running that label. And we've known them from when they were... Some of the some of the artists, you know, we know they were, they were the flipping tea boy. And I'm glad mm. I was nice to the people making tea. I won't say who, but Manchester, <laughs> you know, thinking, oh, they're selling millions now. All right, Yvonne, yeah. And I'm thinking, God, I'm so glad I was yeah. nice. Well, that's having the right values. And, and one of the best bits of advice I got when I first started in PR was be nice to the junior reporters because they'll be the editor one day. And yeah, Same thing. It's exactly the same thing. And yet some people just don't. Don't do that, do they? Don't get it at all. So you've been, well, you've been in the industry now professionally for, is it how many years is that now? 40-odd. 40-odd. And And I'm not even 60. (laughs) You look look half that age, I'll be honest. And what do you feel that that's taught you? Because somebody who is, like, so prolific, you still will get into some of the stuff that you're doing at the moment, but... You've never given up. It's been a continuous path for you, hasn't it? A journey. Yeah. yeah. And your dreams, if you've got any, well, for want of a better word, I won't say side hustles. You've got other mm. things you want to do. Do them. If you've got anything you'll enjoy doing, like people are doing that now, but they wouldn't do it back then. Oh, I'm just saying nothing else. No, if you want to study, whilst people were lying around each other and being stupid and you're sitting down waiting for them to stop arguing, I just thought, just flipping, go and get an education. You could... Okay, I was never hardly at uni. <laughs> Not the point. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like sewing or if you like 
dealing with a camera or you 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 you're a technical go and do that as well because you just you sat around a lot. You know, I've done TV extra work and just like, oh, oh my God, I could learn another, you could learn a flipping other language. You <laughs> <laughs> sat waiting around so much. And, and and nowadays, people are very open about riding alongside, having your other interests alongside your dream. So we're breaking the fourth wall again because I've now also got my daughter. There's no way I was going to miss the opportunity to have Nina with us um, today as Hi, a Nina. budding singer. <laughs> and, you know, we, she struggles with that because um, your you know, passion's music, but she recognises yeah. you've got to pay the bills, haven't yeah. you, while you, you know... I did, a, that's the, I did a lot of music workshops to pay the bills whilst... In between, I was touring or I'd do a summer school. And then, oh, my God, you got these festival dates. But I thought, well, go and do the festival date and come back and carry on with the summer mm. school. Mm. So what, you know? When you're doing vocals for people or you've got a deal, you give a lot of your time and energy to them. Yeah, and a job, a side job, will make you tired. But you're just going to have to sing tired. <laughs> yeah. When you're thinking, I was tired, oh, my voice wasn't right. And? Yeah, just go and do it. Mm-hmm. So you'd mentioned that you've turned stuff down mm. um, and you've or you've had mm. to accept something when it was the right space for you. Now, yeah. Hacienda Classical, you turned them down a few times, didn't I you? I did, yeah. <laughs> I did, yeah. To Fletcher was like, will you come and audition? I was like, no. <laughs> I'm giving up that. I don't want to sing dance music anymore. And I thought, every time I've said, I'm not doing this anymore, my mortgage is paid, everyone can go to hell. (laughs) Right, I'm not going to lie. Something's come up with a thing, oh, really? The ego's got my kickback in. I thought, yes, darling, of course. And I thought, uh, but with this one, I thought, no, I'll I'll give you names of all the singers that can do it. And some of the other names of the other singers said, rejected for some reason I just thought they're great what you're rejecting them for but um and uh Paul Fletcher who manages that's the end of classical said well you just do you just want to sing and I says yeah I do just want to sing and then um the only not sing off bit was um I wanted to sing you got the love and I could only sing it once, Rowetta. Like, cause that's the only song I came mm. to sing. And then nobody in their right mind wanted to sing Ride on Time. And I wasn't bothered because in the 80s in church, that's how people sung. Mm, but yeah. they took that little bit and just sampled it over and over and over and over again in the song. And I just thought, I was the only idiot that would do it. <laughs> <laughs> but for practising for hour upon hour, yeah. I could kind of hack it a bit. Wow. Mm. And when you are in the middle of Castlefield Bowl, mm. when that big sky and the trams are going past. And the rain. The, well, it was absolutely <laughs> bouncing last year. I was there. What's the feeling like? I mean, what, what are you getting in that moment? Transcendental, not going to lie. And um, if it's raining or if it's boiling hot, <clears throat> some festivals you go to, you're out in the cold and you think, oh, what am I doing here? I can't, I can't do this. Or once you get on stage, it's the two hours of... Heaven that makes up for the twenty hours of when I go home. I hate this. You going home on the? You see, you're on the coach on a tour bus going back to Manchester. Just think, (laughs) and you get off and you think, which direction am I going? Where's my car? Oh my god! But that that one and a half, two hours on stage makes up for everything. 
And you never lose. You never no, lose the love for that'll it. never that'll never go away. And I'm really grateful to um, Peter Hook. We call him Hooky, who gets what I do because he's a performer and Fletch, who's really patient and and um, Graham Park. Well, he's as Graham's a singer. He's in a band, so he get he, he knows he gets it, and he's. Um, they're great guys to work with. They're just so confident and sure of what they do. There's no, there's no misunderstanding about what they want us to do. Mm. They're very clear. Mm. So yeah, they're easy to, they're nice to work for, and they're easy to work for. And what's the difference between being at the front of the stage and then and being a backing singer? And what which do you prefer really? Singing wise, for me, if it's in your key, it's easier. At the front, because you're in, if when you're doing backing, you sing to the key of the lead singer. It might not be your key. Or the, oh, am I stuck with soprano again? Am I? <laughs> your voice is higher than me. You're younger than me. You do it. No, they they can, but they don't want to do it over and over and over again. Mm. Not that they can't sing soprano. They get tired, yeah. and the old goat ear. I am tired. I'm not going to lie, but I don't. My voice doesn't get as tired mm. as there, so. And is that because of all the discipline, all the training? Yeah, that you've all done the all stuff that they don't want to do yeah. nowadays, or they've not been shown how to yeah. do it. Once you're shown how to do it, what what it takes, the ones who really want to sing will do it because I think I'll sing like this until I'm 80. And a lot of singers, whether they're trained or not, 40 odd, 50. And I'm a few years away from 60, so, you know, and. I've got the same range as when I was 17, so I can show you what to do, but you can ignore it if you want. I'd only say it once anyway. <laughs> you harmonise by ear, don't you? Because yeah. I read that they gave you some music at the Camerata. Mm-hmm. And you, do you not read music? No. No. I can follow it, though. Yeah. I'll know that if if it's up a little bit, it's a semitone. If it's up to the next one. And so once I hear the song, like, what's the name? Gloria Estefan did that to us, but she made it, it was a jazz thing. Her songs had a jazz and classical lilt to it, so you couldn't just bang out the pop harmonies. So luckily we could follow it. It wasn't great because we had to learn Portuguese and Spanish oh, nice. <laughs> in like one afternoon. And it wasn't 10 songs, as we were told. It was more like 30. Really? Was yeah. that, so that was with singing with Gloria Estefan? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Naughty. <laughs> Don't get paid for double languages. No. If you did, I'd be singing them all. But, um, yeah, so... But they were shocked that we heard... I heard Well, it was dance music, so I heard a song and uh, I knew the song, but I didn't know it that way, but they were shocked that we could just sing it. But is it a USP? I mean, not many people will be able to harmonise by ear, presumably. Is that a, um, a if you're growing skill? up, If you're growing up in church, you can... Most people can sing if you're growing up in a black gospel church or a church pentecostal whichever color most people can sing in harmony not all most people that can sing can sing in harmony can you nina ask <laughs> <laughs> can show you tell us about some of the manchester names that you've worked with who you've really loved the experience with she has to add who you've really loved. Oh, sorry. We'll do it. I'll ask the question again. <laughs> Tell me. 
you can keep that in actually. Tell me what? about, without, yes, not, not in particular order, but give us a flavour of some of the people that you've worked with. Most of the Manchester artists, I've known them for a long time. You can have such a laugh with Manchester artists. Like I loved working with Jimmy. Jimmy Godwin from uh, Sub Sub, which eventually became The Doves. That album, what they did, The Doves album, their return album, bringing my friends to record with Jimmy. And I thought the Blossoms were lovely, or Blossom or whatever they're called, yeah, were lovely. The yeah, and um, and we I go so far back with Jimmy yeah. from the Doves. Yeah. God, we go back 40 years. Jimmy was like 15 when I met Jimmy at Arden. I think he was, he must have been 16 because he was at Arden College. So we all go back before we went into the industry. I think I was doing stuff in the industry before them. And I introduced him to Distant Cousins and Doreen and he, he, he took off from there. I think Paul Heaton, he's accepted as a Mancunian yeah. now. He's He's great. He's great. You know what you're getting. You know what he sings like. He knows the range and the diction and how he sings. And so you know what you're getting with him. And um, he's, I call him the Shakespeare of pop music. I love it. He is. He is. I when love, you read his I lyrics, you go, yeah, the heck. You know, One of he... the most amazing nights that I remember um, from live music was at Castlefield Bowl watching um, Paul Heaton wow. and Jackie Abbott with the, yeah. the tra- and he was waving to all the trams, he was making us wave at the trams and it was a beautiful evening and there's like so much love in the bowl that night. He's brilliant. Are you working with him at the moment, did you? Um, yeah, doing a project with him and so touch wood <laughs> we need some look wood. up, up. <laughs> that's paper it's made out of wood. um yeah doing a project with him and i've done various projects did a project with him called the eighth which was funded by the manchester international festival and i did a project with some young people called the soul choir who worked with Dave Alban, he did a project called Monkey or yep. The Journey mm-hmm. and they theirs was the fifth stage and got them to write the song for the fifth stage of that journey. Amazing. And that was brilliant. And But with Paul, going back to Paul Eaton, I was in the choir, was singing for LCGC, London Community Gospel Choir, and we were asked to sing for The Beautiful South, 97 and 99. And so from there, I did the eight. Somebody called... Christian Madden and I forgot the band that he's got using the band and he was working on a project with Paul Christian told him about me and I got to do the 8th then some choir singers that I know got to do a couple of Paul's albums after that which got into the top 5 amazing, did a single with Paul with the London Choir and now um but he's always been very, he's so nice to us, you know, mm. and he's very hospitable and understanding. I've got I've got a lot of time mm. for Paul and hopefully he's got time for me. I think he has. <laughs> well, we're dying to find out what this is all about. So <laughs> some, is it new soon? Is it going to be out in public soon, do you think? We shall see. Right, I'm, well. ho- I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> so. And he's very, he's very industrious. To, to me, he's very industrious. Putting albums out yeah. left, right, and centre. Yeah. So we'll see. And um, his writing, the quality of his writing, for me, 
just stays up there. I think that way about Mick Hucknall from yeah. Simply Red. The quality of his writing just stays. They've been given time to be seasoned, haven't they? And then been supported by labels who've, and the, what do you call it, the publishing companies. Yeah. But I think they would have kept it without all of that. What makes an artist for me is without all the publishing money, without the hits, without the record, record deals or whatever you want to call them now, they would have done it to that standard anyway. anyway. They're that much mixed voices. Yeah was beautiful before yeah. he had the deal and his level of songwriting. Some of those, is it holding back the ears? He, he wrote that when he was a teenager. Mm. Yeah. End and he's story. coming back at 2025, I think, isn't it? We've got, he's doing a, oh, you, you know, are you involved? With Mick? Yeah. Are you mm. going to be singing with him Mm-mm. at all? No. I would love to sing with yeah. Mick. I said no because I was married to one of his band members. I shouldn't have said no, I should have said yeah. <laughs> you never went to London, why not? Didn't see the need. Um when you go to London, when you when you go on tour, if you if the artist's production team is kind enough, you get per DMs, which is a little bit of money every day, and you go to London, you go and work in London and you have to spend them all when you so when you're living there, the cost of living whilst you're there, even if you're just working there, everything financially can just get eaten up and I thought, I'm not living there. It's like a black hole financially. Just come up, bring your money home, you know. And um, I never saw the need. There's, there's a level of, for me, for session musicians that are not at the echelon when they're getting £1,000 a day, if you're not on that level, there's a level of hustle that I've got no time for. People will hustle you. You just think, ugh, and it just, they don't hustle you and you're not hustled that way in Manchester. Mm-hmm. By also you putting so much in and supporting so many other people, you've got that network, haven't you now, where mm-hmm. you don't need to hustle, presumably, anymore. Your people come to you. And I've heard you say that you can't be a diva in Manchester because you just get found out and no one's going to tolerate you. So you just laugh in your face. Yeah. <laughs> just save the diva for when you're on stage and then when you come off, <laughs> make sure you say thank you to the right people. Yeah, that's Show so appreciation. true. And I wanted to talk to you about you were on a, a panel recently with obviously your good friend Karen Gabay and Karen's been on our podcast and she's an amazing person. You were talking about racism in music, the music mm. industry and mm. obviously particularly towards uh, women of colour. Of course, yeah. You talked about that back in the day, so how do you feel that that's moved on at all? I think um, there's colorism, there's racism, there's against womenism, whatever you call it you know, anti-feminist or just women are just treated unless you look a certain... If you look a certain way, you can move up and onwards, but usually there's a price to pay for it, which is all out now in the press. And then if you don't look a certain way, well, that you're the dog's body, but they know you can get on with the job. So you're treated a certain way, but you get paid just to get on with it. So you, what happens is you just grow past it. You just think, you can act like that if you want. I'll turn up, or you pay me for what I do and I'll get off. You don't get any favours from me. I don't know you. Whereas when you're younger, mm. you're doing everything's a favour. Mm. Everything was a favour. So Did, I mean, this is a lot of young artists that we speak to, including my daughter. You know, people say, well, you do it for free because it's exposure. But exposure is not paying your bills, is it? You get told that even to this very day and I'm just glad I'm at the stage where I can say, jog on. (laughs) (laughs) 
you will she will get your daughter will get that and you don't realize that you're making somebody else's career they're getting paid or you as part of their archive will get them somewhere you'll be somewhere one day where they'll have you on their archive and be making money off the archive say you have a massive hit then you can say no you need permission to use it so when they can we use it say no or let them put it out and say no take it off mm. i yeah. say we've had a lot done a lot of freebies which now people want to use i'm like if i don't like them i say no you can't yeah. use it yeah get lost <laughs> so your values are very clear I mean somebody said oh you know Yvonne's she's the great connector you're definitely somebody who puts in more than you take out and one of our values at Roland Dransfield is plant trees you'll never see why is that so important to you because I can see it drives you and makes you happy um even though people didn't want me to sing secular music and all the stuff that's coming out now in the press you can see why they planted a seed in me. They gave time to me, the Thomases, the family in um in church, Pastor Hendricks and his wife, Sister Hendricks, they afforded me time and energy at the beginning. My even my ex my deceased ex husband, Fritz McIntyre, and they afforded time I was in with them. And they and so I did a lot of work with young people because of that. And Diane especially, Diane Charlemagne, I did a lot of work with tens, thousands of young people. And even when the organisations didn't pay up or paid really late, like the music service or people that were funded didn't pay for everything that I did, I just did it for the young people, you know, put them in places, gave them advice. And um, I don't know, I'm not expecting anything from those young people. Never charge a young person, unless it's a private lesson. I've never charged a young person for workshops or masterclasses. So that was my legacy. You know, yeah. And down the line, people... They'll do it for they'll, someone else. They'll exactly. Pass it for, they'll pay it forward. Pay it forward. So Manchester Quickfire, what's your favourite venue to perform at in Manchester? Uh, for me, it's Ban on the Wall. There's a lot of venues that I do like. There's a lot of these arts venues that I found cool, but I like her. Uh, I, I do like. I, I, I like the new band on the wall, mm. the old one and the new one. Just fat, warm sound, you know. And when it's five, and I, and I had my first gig there as a when I was fifteen, when I was with the Challengers, you know, we had our gospel extravaganza. Wow. They gave us a four week residency. At Ban on the Wall when I was 50. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I'd, so there literally used to be a band on the wall. That's how it's got its name, wasn't it? They, yeah. they had the safe space. They put the band up on the wall. Those pictures are incredible. Yeah. Is there an artist that's coming through in Manchester at the moment that you got your eye on? Um, She's not coming through. She's To me, she's there, Mika. You know, she's been doing it for a long time. She's been, she's called in a lot of favours from people to get her album done at not much cost. And she's got connections, but she's coming through. She's been on tour with um, Lionel Richie and um, she's just got this great voice. I, I love, um, well, at one time there was a young girl that I used to teach at Wally Range called Ruby, fantastic singer, and they only may. They're, they're, they're young women and they've been singing for a long time and then they could do with more exposure. Mm. Not easy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you order at the chippy? I'm a fish, chips and curry girl. Oh, nice. 
Oh dear, yeah. No, I like that. Yeah, I chop the ends off because they're too crispy. But, oh man, <laughs> and I don't eat as many of the chips as I used to. No. But good lord, <laughs> no peas. Sometimes mush your peas. Yeah, why not? And I'm I'm disgusting. I mush the food into, I mush the curry into the chips and pick up watches of anything. Yeah, yeah, man. Mm-mm. I remember that was that was exactly my first meal after COVID, when I had COVID, like, God knows how long ago, couldn't eat, and that was the first thing that I had was fish chips, mushy peas and curry sauce. It was mm. divine. Um, <laughs> if Manchester was a genre of music, what would it be? It would be a mashup. You know, we call it a mashup. Mm. I don't know what you guys call it. It would be a blend of different things it would be a remix wouldn't it yeah you know it would be a remix it'd have um, indie music in there with dance music with bits of um ad-libs of jazz and it would be you know the best pop music ever <laughs> you know be a mashup man mm. and um when you're not in manchester what do you miss most the people the people, the, you sit next to the bus, you can, you sit on the bus, you can go, hi. Or you just walk up to, the few times when I get the bus, you can say, morning, or, and people don't think, they'll look at you and go, look down and thinking, who the heck's this? <laughs> the people. Yeah. The people could do, you know, and I'm, when it, unless it's not raining too much, I, I'm all right with the weather, me. <laughs> yeah. I'm all right. Get used to that grey sky. Lastly, I just want to ask you, Manchester's a city full of music. Mm. There are lots and lots of musicians and would-be musicians here. You know, and that's great to see, but what would you kind of say, what advice would you have for a musician who's trying to make it or get there or the struggling? What do they need to do? Don't give up. What happens is people fall on the wagon or off the wagon, whichever way it is, where you stop. Just carry on, especially to the young people. Just carry on. Don't stop. And, and if you can't put as many hours into it as you like, it doesn't matter. Just keep going. Just think, well, I can't do it now, but I'm going to do this. But make sure you do it. Even if it's one thing I say to my, um, when I was married, Matt, that Fritz would say to me, if you give an hour away to somebody, give an hour to yourself. If you've given, you've gone to the pub and you work for three or four hours and you owe yourself three or four hours of to your music or to your technological do that day, whatever it is you do. So, you know, if you if you go and work for a day for an artist or for an afternoon, you've got to give an, you've got to give an afternoon or an evening to yourself. So you need to keep investing. Yeah. Keep your dream. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, are you going to give us something, a little bit of... A bit of music. Um, I'm just going to sing um, a one line. Keep your head to the sky. Keep your head to the sky. Don't give up. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Keep your head. That's an amazing way to end this. Thank you so much. Um, you're a true connector, definitely mm-hmm. not a diva. In the short time I spent with you this morning, I've heard you give some amazing advice to Nina. So um, that's wonderful. Thank you. And it's really, everybody said to me, when you meet Yvonne, um, you'll really kind of get the fact that she cares deeply about mm. helping others and about keeping that talent within Greater Manchester. So yeah, so important. And yeah. so thanks for helping us to build this city, Yvonne. Oh, thank you. 
Yvonne Shelton has built this city by creating music connections throughout Greater Manchester, by keeping her head to the sky, and by being a diva only when she's on stage. On the next episode of We Built This City, you'll hear from Sam Piccioni III, President International of Oakview Group, the company that's building the much-anticipated Coop Live Arena. That episode will be available on the 15th of February. This podcast was produced by Purposeful Podcasts. If you want to build a community around your business or your brand, please do get in touch with our amazing team through our website, purposefulpodcast.com. If you'd like to find out more about how Roland Dransfield can help you drive your values and create relationships that build your business success, then head over to rdpr.co.uk. Or you can find us on Instagram at Roland Dransfield or on X at RDPR Tweets. Or feel free to give us a call at the office on the same number we've had for 27 years on 0161 236 1122. And in the meantime, please don't forget to rate, review and follow We Built This City. Thank you.